Hi, everybody. Welcome back to our Politics Update podcast. This is Daniel DeBeer, Opinions Editor for Print, and... I'm Mia George, Lead Opinions Editor. Though Russia's invasion of Ukraine is the most prominent issue currently, we would like to focus on political events overshadowed by this crisis. To learn more about the situation in Ukraine, we encourage you to read our last foreign affairs column um, by me and also to look out for the upcoming package in our next print issue. So to begin with, we wanted to discuss Venezuela. So in light of the conflict in Ukraine and Russian invasion on the country, senior US officials, according to The Economist, have flown to Venezuela for unexpected talks with Venezuelan President Nicolas Maduro, with an aim to deter the South American country away from Russian backers. A State Department and White House negotiators met with the president on Saturday, the 5th of March, the first meeting in many years. According to the New York Times, a few U.S. officials who have remained anonymous and the Biden administration were motivated to meet to Venezuela because of concerns that Russians, Latin American allies, such as the authoritarian regimes of Cuba, Nicaragua and Venezuela, would become security threats as the geopolitical climate of the world becomes inevitably more tense. However, another reason behind the meetings could be that U.S. saw Venezuelan oil as a potential substitute for Russian imports due to the sanctions now on Moscow. Since Venezuela has the world's largest oil reserves with an increasingly growing output, even with U.S. sanctions imposed on the country because of an attempt to bring down Maduro in 2009, 2019. Sorry. But no agreement was reached during Saturday's meeting, with experts saying that the encounter could entail a shift in U.S. foreign policy towards Venezuela since the country has faced humanitarian and political turmoil, uh, turmoil since Maduro became president in 2013. In 2019, as I mentioned, the U.S. had cut diplomatic ties with Maduro as the Trump administration backed an ultimately unsuccessful push to remove him from power by recognizing a younger opposition, Juan Guaido, as president. However, because of economic support from China, Iran, and Russia, Maduro remained in power. And so, although officials emphasize that there will be no sudden lifting of sanctions under Biden administration, a push towards restoring democracy in the country will be restored or will be attempted to be restored. In an interview with Biden's top advisor on Latin America, Juan Gonzalez, he said that the U.S. would continue to recognize Guaido as the country's rightful leader. However, he claimed the manner in which the administration would overthrow Maduro remains greatly different how Trump's administration approached the situation. He said, and to quote, the previous administration's theory of change was based on regime collapse. Ours is more in the need to recognize that only a negotiation will lead to concrete and sustainable change in Venezuela towards dem a democratic order. And so I thought it was interesting to kind of look at how now there's a shift in foreign policy where before it was out of question that even the U.S. would intervene with Venezuela, who's now facing such economic turmoil. But because of the severity of situations with Russia and the fact that they've been sanctioned and or and oil imports, now there's a shift and there needs to be sacrifices made. And at the same time, it could lead to a successful one where Venezuela might um, we might see hope for Venezuela where they could shift in a democratic one. And so hopefully good comes out of the situation rather than bad in terms of foreign policy for the US. So as we're seeing once again, many Western countries are contemplating um, how to deal with these oil rich yet um, unethical countries. Another case of this would be the UK's relationship with Saudi Arabia. So looking past the Saudi Arabian's history of silencing those who oppose its government, 
the UK Prime Minister Boris Johnson has only strengthened ties between the UK and Saudi Arabia. Recently, the Saudi government executed 81 men for supposed acts of terrorism, yet Boris Johnson visited the kingdom promptly after to persuade Mohammed bin Salman, Saudi Arabia's leader, to pump more oil in an effort to lower prices for the UK. Despite condemning Saudi's multiple human rights violations, the murder of Wall Street Journal's Jamal Khosagi for once, for one, the UK has maintained its close relationship with the country. Britain exports billions of pounds in weapons to the country and receives billions in foreign investments in return. In addition, the two countries exchange crucial defense intelligence, and most of the West is reliant on Saudi Arabia as the biggest crude oil exporter in the world. The fact that powerful Western nations, such as the United Kingdom, are so reliant on such a morally bankrupt country proves that we have to stop thinking about how to suck up to Saudi Arabia and start thinking about renewable energy supplies we can create domestically. Transitioning the nation to a carbon neutral energy will establish the country for a future where we do not have to rely on unethical suppliers, on renewable energy sources, and volatile markets to fuel our country and set us up for a future of green energy that can supply the entire nation without relying on countries such as Saudi Arabia. Switching over back to Latin America, the most left-leaning Chilean president since 1973, Gabriel Boric, has been inaugurated. His policies are most similar to his socialist predecessor, Salvador Allende. Chile's socialist president ousted by Augusto Pinochet in a coup in 1973. Allende nationalized hundreds of businesses and presided over strikes and hyperinflation. Boric's presidency, however, will be far more restricted. Even after allying with the center-left, he still holds a minority in Congress, making it difficult for him to pass laws. In order to gain the trust and support of his nation, Boric will have to start slow to not radicalize his country's policies. He intends to cut government spending by 22%, decrease inflation, and crack down on tax evasion, which has become a much larger issue among the rich in Chile. And I think it's interesting to kind of look at what's at stake here. I mean, in The Economist, their most recent issue, they talk about how in his inaugural speech, um, he states that they state that he paid tribute to Salvador Allende, as you mentioned, Daniel, and who was the social pre uh, socialist president who was disposed by a military coup in 1973. And I think it's a shame because right now we might be seeing Chile moving backwards in the opposite direction. And also, I think it's interesting to consider that The Economist in their latest issue mentioned that um, in his inaugural speech, he paid tribute to Salvador Allende, as Daniel was talking about the socialist president who was disposed um, by a military coup in 1973. And I think it's a shame because right now we're seeing perhaps and hopefully not Chile moving backwards in the opposite direction. And I think it's important to look at it through a historical lens. Uh, to give context between 1973 and 1988, Chile was govern governed by the authoritarian regime, as Daniel briefly mentioned, of Pinochet. And it was an extremely repressive regime against opponents, mostly leftists, where thousands were left either tortured or killed. The new constitution in 1980 imposed restrictions on political parties and placed power solely in the hands of the military president. And so what followed was urban civic movements and protests inevitably occurred and trade unions ultimately were linked at the beginning of 1988. Even the Catholic Church, which sought to preserve moral authority throughout the post-coup period, went and protested against these human rights violations, sort of depicting the severity of the situation. 
and consequently the violent repression declined and a broad coalition uh, called the National Accord for a Full Transition to Democracy was put in place. And this was the principal civil society force that used nonviolent nonviolent means to press for gradual democratization and liberalization. Unions and political parties worked together and created a broad ideological coalition to defeat Pinochet's rule. The opposition alliance, uh, Christian Democrat Patricio Alloin assumed office in 1989, officiating transition to Chilean democracy. So just to give that context, it's unfortunate that the country had to endure all these human rights violations and then an economic crisis and various civil protests to achieve democracy. And I, I hope that we don't see a parallel where all of that democracy goes away and we start shifting into rad radicalization, as Daniel mentioned, and an authoritarian regime under the new president. Thank you guys so much for listening. Uh, we hope you enjoyed. Again, if you want to learn more about the Ukraine-Russian crisis, look out for our um, upcoming print issue and our latest foreign affairs column uh, debriefing the effects and the role of non-NATO countries in the conflict. Thank you guys and see you next time.